Hello, and welcome back to the release of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hope here, Tom Jacobs. How are we doing after the PGA Championship, my friend? Yeah, I think uh, I think I'd be doing better if uh, Rose didn't eject. Um, but I say eject, like he still hung around. He was still like top ten, right? But like he was just on the path to a really good week, and I, I really liked him all the way along. Like he I, he could have been five under going into about nine yesterday, just the puzzle him down, um, and then just just kind of lost it. And then of course Victor Powers is a. Uh, iron into the uh, into the bunker on 16 and all of a sudden we've got a no contest at the end there but to be honest I think the way that, that Brooks played it was probably um, the same result regardless um, obviously it probably would have just been one shot win rather than anything else but like I still think Brooks would have won that tournament so I thought it was a really good tournament I thought it was really exciting um, I thought we had a couple of really promising uh, performances from a couple of the guys that we love and, and talk about an awful lot um, Victor Prez surprised me. I, you know, we, we didn't necessarily spend so much time talking about him last week. Uh, skipped over him, but Mimu Lee played well. Ryan Fox played well, and the biggest takeaway I saw from that is both of them have now got special temporary membership in the PJ Tour. Which, when you take those two away, um, Victor Prez at the end of the year, Olsen at the end of the year, probably Yannick Paul. It's a uh, it's a tough scene right now. Yeah. Um, I'll stick on the, the first points, right? I do think there was um, some guys there that, that we highlighted in which weren't talked on all that much, right? Yeah. I mean, Min Woo. What, what Min, Min Woo's ceiling is so high. Like, he's going to steal a PGA Tour win. Like, he's going to out of yeah, nowhere yeah. coming off four miscuts. He is just like Hidiyama in that way where they can hang with the best of them. Now, I would say even at the majors, like, you know, maybe Min Woo might struggle on the PGA Tour in consistency because his game is not made for potentially that type of goal. But it's made for what we saw last week. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for him. And that was somebody who, I mean, we, he's 1% owned. You know, Herbert makes the cut at low ownership. Fox, you know, bouncing back and forth. I thought good, yeah. it was it was really fun for for guys that we think of. And if we would have expanded out our our coverage to all TP World Tour eligible uh, Ryder Cup guys or European Ryder Cup guys, I know you would have talked to Victor Hovland. So um, you, know, you had a quality week. Um, you know, Brooks Brooks was too much in the end. Um, somebody that you know, it's it's with a weird emotion that that victory was yesterday betting him and being one of his, his biggest fans you know for me like him being my one of my favorite golfers yesterday definitely felt different than, than it did in the past when it was kind of yeah. shocked the world type of one so still kind of digesting it but of course i think it is it's just really really cool to see that knowing what we saw kind of his personal side so super excited for brooks i don't think it means anything from the live tours regard and that's almost, you know, just as, as sweet as he is, just the individual player showing up there. And that's kind of the way I'm just going to move forward with these live guys from the bounce over to our events. So I think I think the thing is, when we say it doesn't mean anything for the live tour, like it doesn't it doesn't better the live tour. It doesn't make that any more appealing or anything like that, right? But but what it does do is gives them, and, and I think this has already happened after the Masters and probably a little bit even at St Andrews already, like. It kind of validates that they're still competitive. They're still the players that that they were before, and and they're still going to be the select because out of the 48 players, there's still only sort of 10 players like this that we're talking about, right? But like very much because people can't see the stats week to week on these players, they can't 
Um, they can't get over the fact they made a decision to do what they do, which is absolutely fine. That's that's people's um, you know prerogative and things like that. But again, Kepka first, Bryson fourth, Cam Smith ninth, Patrick Reed eighteenth, like Pereira eighteenth as well. Like eventually, you've just got to get to the point where um, you just accept that. They're still the same players, right? Even and actually, probably when you look at it, you know, I think Matt, I suppose last week made a good point that like the live schedule actually works out really well for this major, like the lead up to it, um, and actually probably better prepared than some of the PJ Tour guys. So it's going to be interesting now how they handicap the US Open. I don't know if they're now going to suddenly overvalue these live guys compared to how they have done over the last two majors just because of what Brooks did. But um, if there's still some value in some of these guys like like Reeds and the Pereiras and things like that, that you know what they were before, then, uh, you know, there's still money to be made, I think. Yeah, it's just impossible to price price yeah. live golf. Like, you know, like, it's just because if, if Brooks would have had that lead-in four on the PGA Tour, he's he's 12. He's yeah, 14, exactly, yeah. Right? It, it's just, you know, so you could say he was the, the most undervalued golfer in the field. He was the most over-golfer valued in the field, right? Like, yeah. you get it from all directions. So... Um, but no, I mean, a quality, I thought, okay, will absolutely delivered. That's the type of golf that I enjoy, um, just absolute brute tests. And even though Brooks plays as boring as it gets when it comes to, yeah. to that type of golf, it's how, uh, how it needs to be done. Wow. And, um, I was impressed. I was impressed by some of our, our, our DP world tour guys. I thought they fought well. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, you know, it was a good, I thought, like, I feel a lot more positive about the European Ryder Cup team today than I did two or three months ago. Like I yeah. still don't, I still don't think they can win in Rome. But when you look at it, and you've got Victor in second, and, and really, I thought Gabe made a real good account of himself. Rory was seventh, obviously, after a really tough start. Sepp Stracker, if you're gonna, if he's going to be in the hit list, is seventh. Rose ninth, Lowry twelfth, Perez twelfth, Hatton fifteenth after shooting forty-two on the front nine on on Thursday. Um, Fleetwood inside the top twenty as well. So actually, it's a really, really positive thing. And and I think we kind of alluded to that that it was going to be a good good uh, major for English players in particular. And you know, Rose, Fleetwood, and Hassan were all in the top twenty. So it's not a not a complete surprise really. But yeah, I think it was. I I thought it was a really good course. I I really enjoyed it. And there's been some criticisms of it. And I think some of them are, are fair, and some probably a little bit harsh. Like I do think it would have been more exciting to have a maybe a bit more of a reachable par five at times. And I get why some people didn't like the drivable par four, but I loved pretty much all of it. Um, I think, you know, Victor lit himself down a little bit with the drive yesterday in, in key moments, and he missed a five-footer on the front nine to, to really put the pressure on. And But other than that, it really was just Brooks being too good. So, so that's been the case for yeah. six years or whatever it's been. So, so be it. For sure. And, and we can flip on over to where old Brooks, he cut his teeth, right? Yeah, Coming through that's it. This, this challenge tour, coming through... DP World Tour, um, as we are over to the, the KLM Open this week, uh, formerly known as the Dutch Open. Um, so we have seen this rendition, so the, the Bernardus Golf, uh, the last two times. I'll say it once, I'll say it again. I do believe that Ryan Fox losing this tournament for me last year might have been the worst possible golf loss of all time. I think it was 99.9% win probability. For Fox before Perez absolutely stole that from him. So that was the last time we saw that. If you remember, Fox doubled the last, Perez birdied it, and then it was a par five, and then made like two 60 footers in the playoffs to stay alive and win. So um, I am not salty one bit. 
but that was the last time we saw it. And then Christopher Broberg had won it the year before over uh, Matty Schmid. So uh, we've seen it twice here. Tom, any thoughts on the Kyle Phillips design track? Only the fact of what Kyle Phillips is, is known for, right? And we'll, we'll get into those kind of courses in, in between our player selections. I think that he's, you know, done Kings Barnes at Dunhill Links. He's uh, been responsible for the course that did the uh, Nordea Masters 2014-2015, uh, PJ National of Sweden. Uh, he did 2017 Scottish Open golf course he did, 2016 British Masters golf course he did. So um, that with the Sicilian Open as well, like just a really big banker form of Carl Phillips designs, which will, is basically what I've based a lot of my picks around this week. Um, I don't tend to do that too often, but when you see someone that designs the same sort of courses in the same sort of style and the players seem to turn up as much as possible, uh, I do think you've got to, you've got to go for it. So I've stuck to that kind of theory this week and uh, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. It seems in a way that you get like guys with links for without, all the links tests when you get to with him. I mean, Perez has won it both, right? Uh, for Dunhill and then here. Um, so you can make that corollary, but it does seem to see some linksy guys making uh, their ways to the top of these type of leaderboards. Um, and we can start kind of with the opening discussion in regards to the guys coming over from the PGA Championship, Perez being one of them and um, Adrian Moran. I thought Adrian Moran he had a very, very good week. Yeah. Um, right. He led that field in birdies um, or tied, I think, with with uh, Scheffler, maybe or Brooks right up there. Um, but to, to do that, finish where he is, it just kind of shows, you know, obviously not polished enough to, to clean up that side of the game. But boy, you know, if you think, you know, Minwoo and Fox getting the membership, I mean, Morak's going to be next. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, he, he's going to have it. I mean, these guys are going to have to come over to play the Ryder Cup type of stuff. But man, I mean. There's going to be some fields without any one of these guys because every one of them have had special temporary membership and or top 10 qualify. Um, I was tempted by Moran. Prices aren't that bad. What, what about you with these top two? I was tempted by both. And, uh, and it's purely like I actually thought Moronk would be slightly favoured over Perez just because of the more recent win. But um, when you look at what Perez has done, I mean, he won the Abu Dhabi at Yes Links, which is the Carl Phillips design uh, at the start of the season. He's then had a 13th place finish since then at the Razal Khaimah and then back-to-back top 12 finishes at the Italian Open and the PGA Championship. So back playing some of his best golf. We know he loves, he's obviously an adopted Scotsman, if you like, living in Dundee. So that's a big thing. And Moronk really just has to take advantage um, of these types of tournaments. Now, Perez, obviously finishing 12th, took care of a lot of his Ryder Cup points for him. Uh, He's now got one of those automatic spots as it stands. And, And as you said, like Moronk, didn't finish off where you know he would have wanted to based on how well he played, but um, so that 40th place finish could have been a lot better. And, and if it was, then he wouldn't be having the same sort of stresses. But now he's got to go and probably win another one of these to really solidify it. Um, so there's a plenty of motivation. I don't think travel is going to be a factor. It's only New York to Holland. That's not a big deal. Um, so I think if, if anyone wants to say to me, I'm going to take one of the two at 14 to one. I'd say go ahead. I don't. Because I can't quite make my mind up between the two, I'm probably going to leave both alone, but Perez would be just edging for me at the moment. Yeah, I lean the Moronk side, but man, it's uh, just because of the ball striking versus yeah. the other. But absolutely, good, good, make uh, a pick there. And not to say that I'm scared is the wrong word, but I'm, you know, I have respect for them. I'm actually, my card's pretty deep this week with all each ways as I go here. What from the top of the board, right? Bjork. 
point guard of Rasmus, Jordan Smith, Rosner, Campillo, uh, Ortega, who made the cut last week, Lane Gostra, all the guys, even used to this hometown event or home country event, all 40 to one or lower. Um, Anybody that you'd be siding with? No, Bjork was obviously close just because of how good he's been. Like, it's just so consistent. I just don't have that belief that Bjork's going to win. I don't look at Alexander Bjork and go, that, that's it. And it's it. I, I just think he's going to finish sixth or eighth or something. And it's not really what I want to play for at 25 to one. So um, I've given Alexander Bjork a swerve there in the end. The one that was kind of tempting at the kind of 50 to one and below number was uh, Marcus Hedekilda, who had you know such a good effort here. On his first start um, in 2021, he was second going into the final round, finished 12th with a final round 75. We know recently he's had a chance to win as well, Heather Kilder. He's gone off the boil slightly and his irons are looking a bit, bit disappointing. So it just depends how he bounces back. But I think Heather Kilder of that group is probably the one that I'd be most tempted by. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? I guess that's ultimately probably, I mean, it's we're at this test of this this golf course where the last time we saw it, it was all big hitters at the top of the leaderboard, but it was probably the three best golfers in yeah. the field. So is it the same thing for Alice's by analysis of diving too far into that when they are just quality golfers? But Heli Kilda's style of game with an open, more open track feels to be something in which would make sense. Uh, I mean, Wilco could probably be in that near near range too. And you know, I'm difficult hard on Wilco. The one that I almost pulled the trigger on was going back to Eddie Pepperell. Eddie Eddie was just fine the last time out, even though his finish didn't end up being to what his start was. I mean, we know he topped 10 his first event back after three months. You think links, you think this type, and, and in the Netherlands as a whole, Eddie has been incredibly prolific. So um, I was intrigued there, uh, still going deeper, but definitely somebody to, to think about. Yeah, I think the best thing with Pepperell was like strokes gained, chirping, I would call it for Pepperell. He definitely, uh, once he gets a little bit chirpier on Twitter, you know the game's going in the right direction. So uh, I like the look of Pepperell. Uh, I didn't get there, but again, uh, kind of starts my card at 60s. But yeah, all, all kind of the people that we mentioned so far, all good considerations. And if people want to play them, then absolutely understand. Yep. So I'll go into one of, I mean, this is like one of the reasons I like to, to, Bet on golf in general is just just the weeds of the statistics, right? And you may go long form last fifty rounds. You might go twenty. You might look into the designs. You can kind of you know make a make a running at a lot of guys based off of things, but you never know when that then like switches flipped, right? Like you just never know when somebody finds it, or it could be leading up to a tournament. And you know, digging into PGA Championship and, and somebody who we've talked frequently, there was one golfer's, I guess, Friday performance that, that I wanted to dig into. Um, Audrey Arnas. Audrey Arnas has been, you know, kind of one of the, the top bet guys at the Italian Open, somebody who frequently finds himself on cards and somebody that I could never do, right? You know, you look at the game, absolute power, really good irons. Um, doesn't chip it with the best of them. I think that could be alleviated here, but he could putt, he could putt, you know, and he finally broke through with a victory. So, Audrey Arnas, you can't say this about too many guys um, in a positive way, but did something um, that no one else did Friday at Oak Hill. So, Audrey Arnas um, faced the cut line. He was six over in his first round, and 
um, what he did was we went out at even par uh, in his opening nine, the back nine, and we get to the challenge of the front nine. Uh, first four holes, he had a birdie on two, then he doubled four. And so what he's one outside of the cut line um, or two outside the cut line, he's go two under over his final four holes. Hole six was the most difficult hole in PGA Championship history, right? Shepard discussed that, how, how difficult of a hole that is. What does he do? He birdies that hole. He's one of three people that birdied that hole um, on, on Thursday or on Friday. And then on hole seven, which only nine people birdied seven, he birdied seven. Both of those holes, he stuck it within 12 feet, made the putt. He missed the green on eight and couldn't get up and down. So he bogeys it on nine. What does he need to make the cut? A birdie, puts it to 10 feet, and he just misses the putt. Even par, misses on the number. What has Andre Arnoff done this year? What has he done much overall? It's been a tough year, right? It has really been. And to me, when his back's against the wall in a major championship, when you can go top three and approach in a round against the world's best like he did, I think that is an absolute great sign for him moving forward and something I think he can build off of. And you're still, I mean, I wish it would be a bigger price in some ways, but in this type of field, he's not getting much ever outside of 66. So I think he can show up at a driver-heavy course and play really well coming off of that iron and that really big Friday for me in an audio not 66 to 1. Yeah, I think I think the thing with Adrian House is is like you say, it's just getting into the weeds to find the positives because we never quite know just how well he's playing or not really, unless you're you're really shot tracking him like you were, um, because he is missing these cuts, he is he's kind of finishing the fortieth place and things like that. It it's a weird one with Arne House because you'd expect him to be good at links golf, and it hasn't necessarily been the case yet. Um we don't know. It it's not a massive sample size, so I think there's still time to work on that. Um but yeah, I, I don't know with now. So I really don't know. You're right in the sense that like the 60, 66 to one is never going to get much bigger. Uh, it, just, it just doesn't happen for now. So he's just he's not going to be the hundred to one goal for unless he you know really was in terrible form. And then you're not going to bet him anyway. So I think you've got to focus on the fact he's had a 13th, a sixth, and a second already this season. 30th in Kenya. He's very versatile. Like he had that that good effort at Valderrama as well. Um, you know, the second place finish in 2019. So. I think he can do a little bit of everything. He can he can play it when it's tough. He can go when it's low. So I think there's a player in there that doesn't quite know how to to come out yet. And uh, when he wins, it's probably going to be at 50, 60 to one. And and if you're on, then great. Yeah, I just think he's one of those guys. And maybe you say it's about a lot of guys. And at 66, as we can roll right into my other selection here, so like like with Guido, I'm, I'm of course going back to Guido. He drove the ball exceptionally well. He has some type of links form um i think a course like this when when off the tee wasn't what had really been a strong suit and now we're seeing him you know like thrive there um i I arguably say that uh guido is finding his stride and to show up in something like this but blindly backing somebody like arnas or guido when you have prices to this i i do believe it pays off i mean his you know arnas's top performances are following struggling events right like it's not a surprise to see him do that but can you get the right weeks is a difficult time yeah. so of course with with guido you know ben coley is chopping the price as we speak uh, on guido 66 is as we started the show but um i think guido can make a ton a ton of sense here um so him and arnas is where i'm starting at 66s 
Yeah, no, I understand it. As I say, every time you bring up Guido Bigliozzi, I can't necessarily find a negative. And if I did one, I'm only going to do it anyway. So uh, not too much to counter. Hopefully uh, our discussion on him last week doesn't come to fruition. If he's back in the field this week, that's always a positive sign. Um, I'm starting with Maximilian Kiefer at the 60-1 to 1 mark. And he's been 15th and 14th in his past two starts here, or the two starts at this golf course that we, we mentioned. Um, and when he was uh, 15th in 2021, he was fourth going into the weekend. So he really was... Uh, banging contention. You look at the Carl Phillips design that we sort of spoke about earlier, third and 11th at the Nordea Masters at PGA National uh, as well, which is which is a great sign. And he's had 16th and 5th place finishes uh, amongst his last three starts. So I really like what uh, Maximilian Keefe has been doing. I'm still surprised he's never won on tour. Like I always forget that he's not won. I just I just assume he has. And then you look at it and he, and he hasn't. He's been in those you know massive playoffs and things like that. But um, I, I think one's come in and He's going to be the type of player I think that benefits, you know, as the tour as a whole. Sorry, he has won. He's won at the Czech Masters, isn't he? In, in last year, he beat Gavin Green. But like, he hasn't won as much as I thought he would because you think about the um, loss to Rafael Jacqueline in that playoff run and John Catlin in the Austrian as well. Um, but it, I, I just think he should have more wins at 32. And I think he's the type that's going to benefit from. Just the, the player pool dwindling because he's not the guy that's going to go and get into the PGA Tour unless everyone leaves next year and he suddenly finds himself as the best of the rest, right? But yeah, just everything about Max Kiefer, I think he's the type of player that gets himself in contention. He's shown it already in 2021 and he came back in 2022 and played well um, more more over the weekend rather than actually being in contention. But this time he's, he's, he's coming into form and uh, I like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think his last year, I mean, it's tough, right? Knowing the history of some of these guys, it, of course, molds our, our mindset and the way we approach the handicapping on it, which matters. But his last year has been way better than probably people give him credit for and found himself in the mix and, and just got beat out a couple of times versus versus letting it go. I know recently we almost bet him, right? And then we were frustrated as he had the first round lead, like yeah. right there, right? Like it's, it's somebody who definitely can, can make a case. I think, I think the worst thing for him is like where, you know, as I've just kind of forgotten in a lapse of concentration that like he, he didn't have that, like I didn't think he had that win, but it was in a 54 hole event, right? That like it, it, you just forget these things quite quickly. And actually he's a, he's a really steady player, seems to be improving over the last couple of years. And as I say, as the fields get weaker um, and as we maybe have question marks over the top of the field this week, coming back from a major championship, I think key for benefits. All right, so now for you to discuss Ryan Baroff's favorite golfer in the world. Um, why are you on Sebastian Soderberg this week? He he is the best bet of the week, I think. Uh, I think he's just in great shape, and Baroff will tell you why, I'll tell you why. But he's just got this great form of Carl Phillips designs. He was second at the Yas Lynx earlier this season, which is obviously a Carl Phillips design. Third at the 2015 Nordea Masters, top 20 at the Rocco Forte Open, also the Sicilian Open uh, in previous years. And he's got a top 35 at the Dunhill Links as well. You look at the, the current form, he's had two ninth place finishes in his last four starts. And even when he was 61st in Japan, he was eighth going into the weekend. So he's in really good form. Then you look at the fact he was fifth here last year. I don't really understand why he's 70 to one. Like this is a player that, you know, I keep going back to it, but like, who is he beating in his career? Like Rory McIlroy. Like it's it's absolutely ridiculous to, to think that. Um, I don't necessarily think that means that he's that type of quality of player. Um, I think he's just won on a good week. But, you know, it must give you confidence going back to that and thinking, you know, I was good enough at the 
you know, European Masters to beat Rory McIlroy and all these other kind of runs that he's going to beat this week. So uh, that, a couple of wins on the Challenge Tour show that he can win. He beat Langask on the Challenge Tour, which is a decent thing to have on your list. Just a really good player, and I think he probably could have had another win earlier in Abu Dhabi where he, he made a real run at it right at the end there. So, um, yeah, love Soderberg. I think he's uh, a great bet this week at 70 to 1. Yeah, well, Sebastian, I think uh, the the other side, I, I don't know, what do you think of the U.S. Open qualifier? Separate, separate notes, because that's the only, his little blip of form, which, again, two rounds, not that worried. The little links-ish type of correlation. I was, I was thinking Soderbergh might be able to come through on yeah. that U.S. Open qualifying. I think it's just a good thing if guys played well. I'm not writing yeah. it off if anybody so, played poorly, right? So, like, that, that's the way I'd look at it. Like, if, if, if you were making a case for someone and then they qualified U.S. Open, like a, someone like a Ross Fisher or someone that really played well that yes. final day to, to get in, like, if, if that's the sort of thing that you want, then great. Uh, use it as a bonus. Don't use it as a as a what's the word, to, to block you from picking someone this week, I would say. Yep, yep, totally understand. Um, I've got a pair of golfers here, um, one at 80 and one at 100 to 1. I think um, because of a late field edition, maybe this golfer is uh, in early previews, maybe being overlooked. He's not really priced in every single book, but he's somebody who, when I see he's in the field, I am running to the odds board, um, and, and we've came close with him, almost cashed our each way, uh, at the Indian Open, um, and we haven't seen him, I guess, he played in March, but then he kind of had some time off. I'm going right back to the well with Jaden Trace Gable, right? You know, you, you look at his upside, we don't need to continue to sell people on the way he plays. He's an absolute ball striker. He's 22 years old. Uh, he finally found it on the Sunshine Tour and then continued up into, uh, you know, the, the DP World Tour Challenge Tour. Um, he played well in that U.S. Open qualifier. I thought he was going to sneak in, and I thought it would have been really cool to see how he compares to some of these bigger bigger golfers on there. But a prolific amateur career, getting him at a price that I think is very fair, 80s to 1. So he is uh, first one for me that I'm just going to go and back uh, almost blindly at a price uh, in this degree. You say Sebastian Soderberg is the bet of the week. I think it's Dan Bradbury. Um, you know, Dan Bradbury, triple digits coming in after a stretch of, what would you say? Like he probably got to breathe a little bit for the first time after a big stretch of events um, and, you know, did not play all that well. He was off from March 26th till May 27th. And, you know, what's he do after that little break? He shows up with a 30-second Italian Open with incredible ball striking and then leading the field of the top 10 Sudal Open. His approach numbers were lights out 10th while putting the way he did was incredible, truthfully, you know, off of that form. Bringing in, we know he won at the Joburg Open. Um, you know, I, it's, he hasn't really had that Lynx style test. What He played um, almost nothing. I played the Irish Challenge you know, when he came in there, but I mean, he is, um, from, well, he's English, right. Or is he, um, yeah, he's English. So, you know, you have at least some, some familiarity, you had a really, really good, uh, amateur career as well. So, I mean, Walton Heath, I actually thought he was going to pull that off last week at the, the open. I mean, he had a player, the U S open qualifying, which he did play pretty good. in. he had played Walton Heath well in the past, uh, which has at least some links ties to it. So anything more to sell on Bradbury? No, I mean, I messaged you earlier and said we're betting Dan Bradbury, right? And and it was based on that 100-1 to 1 and the fact that he led led the uh, field in approach. Like, I made, basically made a note 
what do we know about Dan Bradbury at the moment? It's the fact that he won his third ever DP World Tour start. He then comes into an event where he led the field and approached, led the field in tee to green. And now he's coming to uh, the Dutch Open, which I don't think is really full of players that we should be worried about. Um, I don't really understand why he's 100 to 1. Like, I think there's you know a lot of upside. I think we spoke about this before. Like I think maybe two or three weeks ago, it was like 50, 60 to 1. I think we were having the same discussion. Like He looked quite big. And I said that he's probably going to go out to 100 to 1 at some point. Um, and, and that's what's happened. And um, yeah, I don't get it. I don't know why it's happened this week based off the fact that he's he's been so good with his irons. And then the other thing, and this is a little bit of a stretch, but I thought it would add it in there, was the fact that he did play uh, at Yas Links earlier in the season, the Carl Phillips design, and he was in 22nd place going into the weekend um, before falling away. So just the fact that he played really well for those two days in a really tough event uh, in a much stronger field, Italian Open, stronger field, 32nd, he was 22nd that week of his irons. Everything about uh, Bradbury suggests that he's a player that, I mean, he's only 23, and it suggests that he's going to be someone that's going to not go to the top. I don't know that we've seen something like that yet, but he's going to be amongst these kind of, I could see him having a Jordan Smith-esque career. Um, and, we're, and we're getting 100 to 1 about him to take him now. So, yeah, I like Dan Bradbury. It's, it's pretty close between him and sort of both a better week, I think. Yeah, I think uh, we're one win away from Bradbury on the Ryder Cup. Uh, we were starting to... <laughs> Starting to pick up a little bit, you know. I, but the thing uh, is, like anyone that was playing the way he plays, that people know would would be getting those calls right. Like it, like as soon as Olison won, it was Ryder Cup. As soon as Perez won, it was Ryder Cup. Like it, it, it's only because people don't really know him that well that that he's not yet. Yeah. So I'm excited for him this week. I, I really am. Um, before we get into our beyond triple digit bets, make sure to shout out our audio listeners. Uh, you can find us on Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, the mix available on all different podcast platforms for us. Um, you can rate, review, subscribe. Mayo Media Network on YouTube goes a really, really long way. Love the comments always. BK always gives us shout outs in the comments. So we love you for that, my friend. Um, Yanni P is trying to qualify for the U.S. Open as we speak. So that would be big uh, for Yannick there and your boy. Uh, but, Tom, with that, let's go on over to the triple digits. Uh, I'm going to go first. I, I think we might be able to talk you into this potential bet. Um, it's just a big, big number. And, and all, all it is is you know, four, five uh, rounds, realistically, of form. But, man, Jen Stantorp almost – we made the comparisons for the challenge tour guys getting priced like Dan Torp, the last event. And then Dan Torp almost went and won it. Um, they're sounding off the sirens. If you can hear him in the background for the Dan Torp <laughs> bet here, which is always a really good sign. Um, but he, I mean, he does that finishes second there, had some incredible, incredible iron shots. Um, and even his approaches into some drivable par fours were really, really good. Forstrom just flat out beat him. Uh, I don't think Dan Torp blew it by any means. He had a, had a shot at it on the back. And then what's he do? He shows up at Walt Heath. He qualifies for the U.S. Open. I, I think that's just knowing where his peak of his game was on the Challenge Tour last year, uh, where he came up and contended right away in the DP World Tour. 130 just seems like such a good price for somebody that pops on the radar like that. Yeah, I think I purposely left a space for someone like this or I was going to take another guy at the top, right? And it was going to be one of Moronk or Perez. And um, I probably feel a lot better taking another triple-digit bomb in, in an event like this uh, and having a go at it. I think BK tried to call him Yenzi D earlier in, in Twitter, which might be a bit of a stretch. Um, as much as I love the Yanni P and Windy C shouts, this one might be a bit too far. Um, 
what I do like about him, uh, Scottish Open, he was third uh, in 2018. It wasn't the one, so it was 2017, the one that was Carl Phillips. But I like the fact that he's done well in Scotland in the past. When we looked at the Nordea Masters, he's third in that 2015 edition, which was a Carl Phillips design. SDC Championship, I'm pretty sure that was a linksy type test in South Africa earlier in the season as well. He was um, third there. Portugal, he's played well. You get some wind over there. So to me, I am going to put him in there. Northern Ireland, he's played well as well. So yeah, Yenzi D, what is he, 130 to 1. Um, yeah, peak, peak performance. He's he's one of the better players. Um, one of the better players in the field of the stretch. But like he's he's someone that we know can win. He's had three wins on the Challenge Tour. I think I remember saying that he was like one of the Challenge Tour types who then suddenly sort of came good last year. It was, he had that really good stretch, didn't he, uh, last yes. year where it was between Incredible. the um, Kazoo Classic and the Hero Open. I think we were on at the Hero Open. And um, yeah, I, ju- I just think he's got a great opportunity to go well. So I will be joining you with Jens Dantorp. Perfect. Yep. I think you also made an argument there uh, for Audrey Arnas, who had a second in that STC championship. So thank you, there you go. Uh, for, for, you know, furthering that for me. All right. One each left. Um, I'll go. I'll go just because it's it's arguably the similar type of, of uh, you know, bet in the sense that Dion Germaheis had um, a, I would say, pretty strong performance. Um, his lead into the U.S. Open qualifying, um, and then he comes out and is the medalist there, nine under Walton Heath over two days. What can Dion do? He can absolutely drive the ball, and he can putt the ball. So there's, you know, if you're interested in Deheli Gilda, who has that style of game, a fox, right? Like those type of guys who have that ability. And also what we know of him is he had a strong amateur career, and he had five wins um, as an amateur. He won, I think it was last year, on the um, Sunshine Tour, um, and, and he is just 23 years old, right? So the sky is the limit. He had two rounds of top five off the tee performance last time out. Opening round was fifth. And then the final round, he was first. And to carry that over into an incredible 36 holes at, at Walt Heath, it is just and what seemingly could be a really good course fit for him uh, if it plays out in that favor. I think 200s. He's 200s over here. I think that plus a top 10 on him makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, overall, just biting on a lot of form leading into a really big opportunity for him with the U.S. Open is, is no different than Dan Torp, except without kind of some of the history that Dan Torp has shown us. Yeah, we, we just know more about Dan Torp than we do Kermeshaw, right? Like, I think when Kermeshaw was top 10 in Japan, I backed him the following week in Korea and it didn't really lead to anything. But I was surprised that he was, I think he was probably a similar prize, 201 maybe, uh, that week. Uh, because he just looks like he can peak at any given time. He seems to be flashing rounds, which we like. Probably a similar sort of thing to when you bat Nick Backham earlier in the year. Like There's just enough individual rounds to be um, confident in, in giving them a chance at big prices, and that's all you really need to do. And Yeah, I like uh, Machine. To be honest, there's probably a bit more reasoning on him. Uh, no, I don't know. My, my guy is very much a course fit type thing or, or a course history type thing than anything. So I'll go into... Uh, Joachim Lagergren in the fact that it's just purely that Carl Phillips designs. Uh, so he won the Sicilian Open in 2017. He has four top four finishes at the Dunhill Links, which again, only Kings Barnes is played uh, is a Carl, Carl Phillips design, but an important part of it, right? That's where you've got to go low. Uh, he was 
18th at the Grove in 2016, the British Masters, again, another Carl Phillips design. And he was actually 105th after round one that week and then finished 18th. So he played really well for the, the final three rounds. I just think that he loves the Lynx test. This isn't necessarily like, when we talk about this as a Lynx test, it's not like an open championship, right? It's probably a bit of a faux Lynx, I think is probably what you could call it. But that's what Carl Phillips does. Um, and it just depends on the weather as to how it's kind of affected. But I think he can play well on both types of styles on that. Uh, he is on a run of like three missed cuts, but it was only four or five starts ago that he was sixth in South Africa. And he he's just the type that's going to spike at any given moment. We, we see that all the time in Lago Gunny at that second in, in um, Valderrama. Oh right, yeah, that's it. So he had the second in Valderrama. And like, if he's going to randomly spike, why wouldn't it be in a test like this that we know he likes? So yes, he's missed the cut here twice, but I think it's just, I never know if a course form means anything. I know he obviously repeats form a lot of Dunhill links, but I think he just spikes and it, it just happens. And, and this would be the sort of test it would do. So at 180 to one, I'm going to give Lara a chance. I believe it was a first round leader uh, in that kind of stretch run prior to the missed cuts too at an event. Um, and I think it was when I tipped him because I remember it, it was similar. It was the corollaries leading into it. He just plays extremely well, same courses, and, you know, you can put the lights out better than anyone. That was the Broberg winning formula. So um, intrigued there. That's selections. Uh, anybody that stuck out that uh, potentially could be a DraftKings play or some people down the board uh, for you, Tom? So Shabun Kashama's got a bunch of this kind of correlative form and he's played well a couple of times here. So I liked him. Uh, he was in the 100 to 1 range, but I couldn't make a better case for him over Jens Dantor. Marcus Armitage was someone I looked at. I think some of the stuff that he's done um, recently suggests that he's going to come back and do well at some point. Dale Whitnell's got a good effort here. Andy Sullivan's played well in correlative form. So they're all there in the kind of 100 to 1 mark. Didn't really get to them in terms of betting, but I think they could um, do something in the DraftKings lineup. Young Young Co has, has had a couple of good you know, good results recently. He's a good driver of the golf ball. I think that could be an interesting one. If we wanted some really deep long shots, and this is definitely going back, you know, plenty of years, um, and it's definitely based on the Carl Phillips stuff. But both Stephen Gallagher and Nicholas Colsart just pop up at every single kind of Carl Phillips design that you want to see and fit the Lynx narrative. Did you see why Stephen Gallagher hasn't been playing? No. They got his tour status wrong. So they basically oh, they basically said really? he didn't qualify for the tour this year. And then it turns out that like six months in, he should have been playing the whole time. And they've had to, they've literally like apologized to him. And apparently he took it really well. But like, yeah, that, that was brutal. So interesting to see how he finishes off the season. Uh, he played a couple of decent results on the uh, Challenge Tour. Um, your guy, Pedro Figueiredo, is a thousand to one. He, he played OK recently. Um, yes. Um, I'm going to oh. run through, uh, I'll take the, the spotlight to talk through guys that were uh, on the other tours, the smaller tours feeding into, right? We have some pro golf tour. We have the Alps tour, challenge tour. I was very close to betting the 18 year old uh, out of France. Oh, Tom, did you, do you know this name? I, Axis is going to give me so much crap for this because it takes me like, oh wow. But it's just how you spell the last name. G-U-I-L-L-A-M-O-U-N-D-E-G-U-Y. I would have thought it would have been like a Gia, but that's you don't make the the Y for the double L in French. So Guillaume guy, um, RB calls him like the Gilda monster. But 18 years old, 
leading the Alps Tour in scoring average, um, had won an event on the Alps Tour last year by seven strokes. Last week, he was uh, 35th in the Challenge Tour, but that 35th included um, some extremely good rounds in the middle. I think he had the second best uh, 36 holes. He included Friday to Saturday. He played in the Mauritius Open in top 25 that, which is a windier test, kind of a little opener type of course. So um, I think he's somebody, he's 300s. Um, you could absolutely kind of tuck yourself into there. Um, and then who else? Crocker popped a little bit in regard, I guess, completely derails what I was saying, talking about the other tours, but Crocker popped a little bit from an approach standpoint. Um, Mike Toro, 24 years old, playing on the Alps Tour, four consecutive top 13 finishes, including three of those being in the top 10. Um, and I think there was one other guy that had that type of form. Uh, oh, no, it was Lars Van Myhill who, who uh, has three consecutive top sevens um, on that challenge tour or three in his last four. Those are the ones that popped of like sponsors exemptions or, or spot starts. Yeah, I like it. There's uh, I don't, I don't think we need to make too much of a case for these guys, right? Which is why it's a very short segment at the end. Like if, if you like what we said, the couple of bits said is Lars Van Meehaw is interesting because he does just pop up at these types of tests. I think he's actually played well at this course in the past. Um, no, so he doesn't finish well, but he's actually, I think, hit his irons well, something like that. I saw his name come up. I always get him and Darius Van Drill mixed up, so maybe it was Van Drill. Yeah. That, uh, that Van Drill has, has a good finish here, but similar type of... Yeah, of just game. maybe it's basically the same person, maybe just reincarnated twice. So, <laughs> Honestly. Um, it yeah, it, it could be. So, yeah, like it. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. I think for an event that is a week after a major, um, an event that's bereft of like a real star i guess i guess prayers are wrong car stars at this point in the dp world tour but like um you're not getting the one of the rider cups or anything like that so um yeah it's, i think it's a good event good good uh bets that we put in so far i thought you'd go with marcel seam that was the one i thought that you would say um 15th here two years ago yeah he's, he's looked lights out man. he has yeah. been strong um the other man i mean i thought Quick, three more. I thought uh, Pablo played incredibly well at the U.S. Open. Um, he was top 10, I think, of the 18 holes, which was awesome to see for him. And then two other guys that did the U.S. Open qualifying pop, plus some recent form, was Andrew Wilson. Um, yeah. Kind of out of nowhere, right? 10th there. And then I think he was 10th once again. Um, there's something else that did that, too. Uh I don't know. I'm going to read off half the field if I keep up this pace. So <laughs> I'll I'll shut it down at that. Yeah, I think Andrew Wilson did pop up for me because he had on top of that kind of tenth place when she'd been 35th on the Challenge Tour in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks prior to that as well. So um, someone that has just randomly popped at times. I think he's a decent driver of the golf ball uh, at his best. So um, yeah, interesting ones there. Cool. Let's land it. All right. Let's uh, review your betting card for me. Yep, so Maximilian Kiefer, 60 to 1, Sebastian Soderberg, 70 to 1, Dan Bradbury, 100 to 1, Yenzi D, Jens Dan Torp at 130 to 1, and Joachim Lagergren at 180 to 1. So a bit of a bomb card for me after a few weeks of taking some 20 and 30 to 1 shots. Yeah. 
Yeah, too too many bets on the guys that are lower odds, Tom. We're going deep down the board. Adrian Nas, 66 to 1. Guido Migliazzi, 66s. Jaden Trescaper, 80 to 1. Dan Bradbury, 100. Jens Dantorp with the boys, 130 to 1. And then Dion Hermaheis, 200 to 1. Going to have the each ways, a top 10 on him. Um, so excited for this week, Kale and Open. Um, and then we get a stretch leading into the, the U.S. Open, right? We're seeing some of the guys in the U.S. Open qualifying on the state side that are DP World Tour guys. Do we know, do we get clarity yet how many spots are coming from the DP World Tour for the U.S. Open? We used to have the 10 golfers from the mini series, but I don't think that's coming this year. I think it might be just a few I spots. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard of the mini series. I think now that because Walton Heath is back as that qualifier, I think that might just be it. Like, because they had a number of years where they didn't do that, didn't they, for, for Walton Heath? So I wonder. Yeah, I was just confused. Guido withdrew from Walton Heath and, yeah. and like, never, like, teed it up at all. He was supposed to. He was in the field. So, well, like, Rosner and some of these other guys also did that, or also played it. So, I don't know. Maybe there's just not any more spots coming besides those ones, which yeah, may cover the most I, I haven't I haven't seen anything unless they suddenly give an exemption to someone that, that kind of wins in the build-up, or it might be like a Ryder Cup exemption or something like that. I, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't seen anything to the contrary. So um, I would say it's probably at the moment just those Walton Heath spots that I know definitively about. Okay, cool. We'll come with a, a locked-in answer next week. But uh, we'll wrap it up on that. Best of luck to everybody. We got some crossover here. Let's hit a winner together. Let's hit a long shot winner together this week, Tom. Good luck, everybody, and we'll catch you next week.